I'm Floyd Hall, and today I have the pleasure of speaking with visual artist Ayana V. Jackson. Ayana, how are you? I'm wonderful, Floyd. It's so great to be back. Glad to have some time with you again. We are here uh, at Arnika Dawkins Gallery, literally in the kitchen of uh, the gallery space. So this is kind of like a kitchen table conversation, if you will. Um, and I'm glad that we have some time together. You're, you're in town uh, in this moment for the National Black Arts Festival. Uh, there was an event, uh, Fashion and Fine Art. Talk about what it was like to be part of that event um, and the National Black Arts Festival. Um, well, it was an amazing evening. Um, I have to say that Atlanta, um, my love affair with Atlanta is getting uh, more and more intense um, as the years go by. Um, being in the room with so many beautiful, amazing black uh, men and women, accomplished men and women um, from our community uh, was so inspiring. And uh, I can't say you know it enough that I was deeply deeply honored and humbled by being by receiving that award um and to be recognized by that community um yeah so you know national is a relative word so in the United States there's the National Black Arts Festival but that is focused uh primarily within the United States and your work as an artist who uh you know, you split your time in a few different places. So what is the response to your work when you're traveling um, in the U.S. versus the response to your work when you're in Cape Town or Johannesburg, mm -hmm. for example? Well, that's a, um, an interesting question. You know, on one hand, um, I would say that my personal politics, uh, to kind of get to the first part of your question, like my personal politics around blackness is that... Um, you know, I think it's unfortunate that the black U.S. American kind of narrative is such a domineering and dominant narrative um, around blackness. Um, and so in my earlier work, I did a lot of a lot to kind of decentralize the black American kind of experience as the black as the ultimate American black black American black U.S. American experience as the ultimate representative for blackness in the Americas because it doesn't allow for us to look at other um, narratives of blackness related to the Caribbean related to Latin America um, but but by extension when we're talking about the arts um, you know the thing is that uh you know the you know right now we're we're in this beautiful kind of heyday of um, African contemporary uh, contemporary art coming from from Africa, um, and the diaspora of Africans that have voluntarily migrated uh, to other parts of the world. Uh, so for me, I think it's amazing. I think it's important for us to um, acknowledge the diversity and the dynamism um, the, of, of what it means to be a black artist at this moment. And to be as black Americans, I think it's important, um, and I've done a lot of work within myself, to, uh, to really kind of um, be a passive um, observer, uh, passive, inter passive receiver of, of the narratives that are coming from that part of the world. Um, that, tendency, the movement, my, my intention to move in that direction came from um, the very humbling experience of living in Johannesburg and, you know, having to, um, again, kind of be patient and be more passive and more receptive in terms of um, 
the South African communities wanting to represent themselves for me and not be in this constant kind of, um, what's the word I want to use, uh, interaction with stereotype. You talk about your personal politics, um, and I want to dive deeper into maybe your personal growth as it relates to identity and, and maybe as you've uh, grown in how you see uh, yourself as a member of the African diaspora. So can you maybe talk about how you've grown and, and maybe as you continue to grow, as you see um, yourself as, uh, as a global citizen, but someone who was born in the U.S., and has evolved in terms of thought and action as it relates to what your uh, your blackness means um, around the world. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, I um, I've definitely been open for quite a long time to um, to evolving um, my thoughts around around blackness, my thoughts around um, African descendant. You know, ness, if I can say that, um, the evolution of it essentially would be would I, you know I would say that you know my father was a musician um, at one point in his life in the early part of his life and he did a lot of work with um, diaspora music so we were listening to and he was playing you know music from Brazil music from the islands you know um, Jamaica music from the continent uh, using instruments that kind of carry across the diaspora so he kind of raised me with this sense of um, of uh, this broad spectrum of what it means to be black and what it means to be of African descent. And then, you know, studying, coming to Atlanta and studying at Spelman, um, you know, uh, the African diaspora in the world um, course that uh, we were required to take then kind of also strengthened and fortified some of what and brought scholarship to what my father was teaching me. But then when I began to travel, um, you know, at this point I'm, I've been to over a dozen perhaps close to two dozen of the 54 countries um, on the continent. And, you know, um, it's been, you know, that's been so eye-opening. And, I mean, I, you know, it's interesting that in terms of evolution, you know, coming from East Orange, New Jersey, um, being educated in Newark, New Jersey, um, I kind of, I had, a, I, had a, I had a very specific and regionalized idea of black and then when I got to Spelman, I was my everything was just my mind was blown open by the diversity of kind of black black people and black experiences, um, you know, in terms of like you know having a, having a Nigerian uh, an, uh, well sophomore year I had a Nigerian roommate freshman year I had uh, I'm a Namibian roommate and then also just people from all over the world I was like wow we're so colorful we're so dynamic but then when I started to go to Africa it was like even further you know breaking that apart and um, and so that's kind of been my evolution. There's always a sense um, of history in your work. Um, a lot of your work, you are recontextualizing history. Um, and I wanted to get your perspective on how you approach history. Like, how do you do research? What do you, what, what moves you when you're investigating history? Um, well, I... W- Actually, to be to be very very honest, my first resource is other people. Um, I remember, um, and I've 
I tell this story quite often. I remember once I was kind of down and out and bummed about how I hadn't been producing work for a couple of months. And, and I was talking to a curator friend of mine who said, um, but Ayana, you have to realize that like the, when you take out the camera, that's the end of the of the process for you. Everything that you do, everything you read, every conversation, even this one, is part of what is going to go, what is going to be set up before that camera. So this, even these drinks at this table, are part of your research. Um, and by extension, I'll, and so I, you know, I remember that definitely kind of like soothing me and 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 calming me uh, in terms of my anxiety around my work. But um, but it also struck me that how important that is. Um, you know, I'm lucky to be surrounded by amazing people from all walks of life and all fields. Uh, and um, luckily, many of them are quite interested in what I'm doing. And so what ends up happening is I have a conversation like this one, and then it leads to a story or it leads to something that I'll then go and research. Uh, so that's other people are my first resource. And then, of course, I definitely make use of the Internet. Um, you know, I'm very, we're lucky to, to have it. It's bizarre to remember a time before the internet (laughs) I I have to say I don't get to the library as much as I as I wish I did you know but um but I have obviously tremendous resources at at my disposal so looking at you you know all of these moments that you talk about add to how you look at your work and maybe what maybe informs your work going forward given that there's so much attention to history Mm -hmm. in your work in terms of what gets captured Mm -hmm. um how do you make room for the now in your work? I know mm-hmm. you, you kind of talked about sort of all of these moments leading up to something, but, mm-hmm. you know, or that may cause you to do some research, but how do you make room for the now in what you actually capture with your camera? Well, I mean, there's a part of it that's unavoidable because, you know, I'm a living human that's kind of taking in things in the present. Um, and, you know, but I'm, but I'm very much reminded of, uh, with age, I'm learning, I'm, I'm watching how history is really repeating itself or, um, and particularly when I think about the black community, um, it's, it saddens me, um, to, to realize that we're still very much fighting the same fights that our, our fathers and grandparents are, you know, our parents and grandparents were fighting. And that um, while there has been progress, you know, there's, you know, there's still some very basic um, aspects of, you know, basic violations of our human rights, um, as well as our civil rights in this country. So when I talk, when I, when I start to mine uh, the past for, uh, for instance, in the, in the most recent work looking at kind of uh, black Victorians uh, or p- p- black people living during the, the late 19th century, um, it's 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 tied to um, wanting to affect um, memory. Um, I'm creating memories in a weird way um, with that work. So what I'm trying to do is show you show you people and things and ideas that um, that I know existed or that I imagine to have existed in order to remind us that in order to kind of almost bring the memory and the sturdiness of of those memories into the present. So then 
we're not, it, it, my ideal would be that you would not be surprised to, to see so many black bodies represented in that way. And why is that important today? It's important because we're dealing so much with the misrepresentation of the black body. Um, we're dealing with uh, narratives of our body that are, that are allowing and permitting people to violate us um, based on a very, uh, what I call, you know, the original sin of racism. So everything that I'm doing in the past is really about the present. So in, in terms of uh, reclaiming or uh, opposing that misrepresentation in the now, um, what gives you hope or what inspires you about what's happening now that maybe be working to oppose some of those uh, misappropriations? Hmm. Well, you know, I have to say that um, my work happens in, in cycles, I'm beginning to, to notice. Um, so I'm still, I, I'm not sure that I've gotten to the point um, of, abs, of, of uh, I don't know how I want to say this. I'm not sure that I've gotten to the point of really actively kind of opposing or, or presenting an opposite kind of, I mean, I, I have, and... But um, but I guess what what your thought what your question brings to mind is um, the series you know you mentioned uh, we were talking earlier about Wild is the Wind, um, and this that series which is all, along with the other images of the Victorians, um, the way that, that came about was I can't remember it wasn't Philando I I can't remember who. Um, we uh, there had just been a, ser a series of protests, um, Black Lives Matter protests um, during these before Philando. So it was in the summer of 2015, and um, the I remember I was in Paris and yeah, I had some friends in town um, from New York, and I remember uh, between my conversations with my girlfriend and my Facebook page and the news. Uh, and Instagram, I just was, I, I remember just almost literally feeling stuck, um, petrified. Um, and I remember feeling like I, you know, one of the things we were talking a bit about, um, Ta-Nehisi Ta Coates and his kind of conversation around Baldwin and like what it means to leave leave the United States and uh, to be in Paris. And one of the things that I really identify uh, with uh, in that in his his conversation was that you know sometimes it's it's you need the relief of getting away from the. I don't want to use the word burden as if it's not something that I'm willing to bear, but like you know, uh, for lack of a better term, the heaviness, the weight of, of what it means to be black and to and feel the calling of activism um, in a situation where there's so little that you can actually do. Um, and and so I remember thinking to myself, I knew I was getting ready to go back into the studio, and I remember thinking that all I wanted, all I needed in that moment and on that day was to feel weightlessness, to feel light, to feel movement, um, to see our bodies in movement. Um, and so, you know, it became this kind of urgency, and out of that urgency, that that particular artwork came came about. And to describe it, she's kind of, you know, she's uh, in in flight, in movement. Yesterday, I was talking with someone who who said that she saw a woman dancing, um, but you can see the ruffles of her her dress, um, kind of in movement, and the determination in her face, and she's got a head wrap, and you know, so she's quite dated in terms of the costuming of clearly being in the 19th century. And I remember thinking to myself, what's so beautiful about that 
that work is that you you have a sense you might have a sense of what she's if you see her as running uh, of what she's running from you you have an, a hope and an aspiration for where she's going but at least in this particular moment she's free um, and so yeah and so that was wild as the wind for those who were who were listening um, what year was that piece it was made in 2015 released I think it's dated in no it's 2015 okay yeah. okay so wild as the wind uh, 2015. Um, if you want to do some investigation for that, for those who are listening, I wanted to, to go back to this notion of, of the weight or the burden of, of moments that, that, that happen as someone who spends a lot of her time in, uh, Cape town or Janice, I'm sorry, excuse me. Um, living there, what is it like to witness the Black Lives Matter movement or other movements like that um, from afar? Well, what's fascinating is, especially in 2016, we're in 17 now, time is flying. <laughs> um, at the same time that we were going through uh, the marches and you know constant activism around Black Lives Matter, they were going through the fees must, hashtag fees must fall. Um, roads must fall. Cecil Rhodes, as many of you know, was kind of was a colonial figure, and so uh, and there are so many, much like the Confederate flag, you know, in the South, there are a lot of um, m monuments to him, and um, and it's a it's a direct kind of um, it's, a, it's a kind of a psychological assault on the on the black community to constantly have roads, um, you know, imagery everywhere. So it's what's what's fascinating to me is that while I'm watch I'm, I'm I'm watching it from afar in a in a although the the specifics are obviously different in terms of the violence against the black body with relate as it relates to the United States, but just the violence against the black psyche. Um, it is 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 still there, you mm. know, and it's shocking to be in a country that's, you know, eighty eighty five percent black, and is still kind of grappling with uh, some of these um, these very, you know, grappling with white supremacy um, or the fight against it. But I'll say that to 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 kind of watch it from afar, um, it's it 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 it's again I, it, there's this sense of powerlessness. Um, there's a sense of wonder why we're why we're here. You know, I'm not necessarily. I do come from a Garvey kind of background. You know, my grandfather, my great grandfather was a follower. Um, but you know, I'm not necessarily saying the solution is for us to all you know like rebuild the you know the Black Star Line and get on the boat and come to the continent or whatever. But but there is this kind of like when I look at it from afar, it's like we're we're banging our heads against a brick wall, um, and and that brick wall is massive. Even though our demographics are changing here, it's still you know it's it begs the question like why are we here? Why are we still here? Like. Um, and just to go back really briefly, um, for those who are listening, Cecil Rhodes, um, as a point of, of, of reference, that's who the Rhodes Scholarship is named after. So for those who may wonder where that name came from or why it's important or maybe pointing out the most prominent maybe example of where that name is, is most used, it's uh, the Rhodes Scholarship. So. Um, and also, it was uh, Zimbabwe previously was Rhodesia. Uh, Rhodesia. Yeah, exactly, mm -hmm. exactly. Um, thank you I for think that. that was where the rumble in the jungle was. It is that where that was? I want to say that. 
That was Zaire, I think. That was Zaire. Mm-hmm. That was Zaire. Yeah. Um, but you you mentioned the, the mm-hmm. yeah yeah um, you mentioned the word um, powerlessness. Mm-hmm. When do you feel most powerful? I don't know if I've ever been asked that question. I want to say, oddly enough, and with all humility in moments like this, you know, um, where I'm asked to talk about what I'm trying to do with my work and the urgency of the work because and when I have the chance to reach other people. One of the things about my work, and so I guess um, it's, it's also in the presentation of the artwork because, you know, when I, as you know, I studied I studied sociology at, at Spelman, uh, and I was a decent student, but you know, um, I, I don't know that I was ever going to go forth and write, uh, you know, volumes. And but I also wasn't sure that I was uh, the audience for reading volumes, and and I felt like I shared that with a lot of people. Um, while I find scholarly work to be absolutely crucial, it's something that uh, some, that often only reaches a few. Whereas the visual language is so it's so immediate and it and it it, it spreads so quickly, and especially now with the internet. Um, and so this this kind of capacity to to reach people with uh, with one image to to change narratives to change minds with one image. Um, I find, you know, I, it's it's a it's a power that I I hold dear, and um, you know, obviously, it, 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 there's a quite a bit of responsibility re- related to that. But I would say that those are the moments where I feel most powerful. When it comes to your work and the visual nature of your work, I know that um, you are very you. You, you craft context around your work really well, I think. And I think for artists who are listening to this, um, what I believe that you do well, outside of taking, you know, compelling imagery, you, you do write well around your work. And I think that's also very important. So could you maybe talk about the language that you use to describe your work so that it does capture the essence of what you're trying to capture? Because I, I think that sometimes is missed when it comes to um, presenting work to the world. Well, they say that um, your work should speak for itself. And I'm not sure that I, uh, having, you know, I have a certain healthy insecurity that many artists who aren't professionally, you know, trained or didn't come through up through the MFA programs and PhD programs uh, where I don't know you know a certain insecurity that like the work isn't good enough or it's not doing what it's supposed to do um, and so or very early on I was comp- I began to compensate by writing I mean I I enjoy writing I um, and uh, yeah and so for me it was that's kind of one of the reasons I like to steer um, to steer people in the dire- in a certain direction, it's it, which is quite complicated when you're talking, when you're like in a in a commercial space when you bring work like mine into a commercial gallery and where it's transactional. There's a transaction kind of uh, commodification, you know, of the work. 
Um, and I've actually been told that sometimes I need to tone it down a little bit to <laughs> because I was like putting the sale in, in, in peril, <laughs> um, which is I was like, well, they just don't need to buy it. But, you know, um, but like, yeah, it's, it's really like wanting to create the context. I, you know, my work is, you know, one of the, 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 the reasons I chose, you know, I'm represented by the only uh, major gallery representing, you know, uh, owned by and founded by a black African uh, gallery Momo in Johannesburg and when I met Mona Mkwena you know we we once went out and to a barbecue together and um, I got into a heated argument I can't even tell you now what it was about but he basically he kind of stopped us and said what you don't understand he says to his friend is that Ayana is an activist first and an artist second and that was the day that I knew that I could put my work in, in his hands because he understood that about me. And so that's one of the reasons why it's more than just trying to create beautiful images. It's never about trying to create beautiful images, really. And do you ever grapple with the transactional nature of what you're actually doing in terms of, you know, the sale of your work, you know, the sale of black representation? Do you ever grapple with that? Yeah, you know, I grapple with it quite heavily, and it's another one of the reasons why I'm so proud of, um, you know, the National Black Arts Festival and the award that I received uh, yesterday, because, you know, one of the biggest things that pains me is that so much of our cultural production is in the hands of non-blacks, you know, um, it's a it's a blue chip game. There are at us once you get past a certain price point, you're you're talking about high cap, high capital people, and not that there aren't many uh, black people there, but you know it is predominantly a, a white person's game, and so you know it's just it saddens me that so much of our our production is is not in our kind of you know is not in our in our space, so. You know, one of the reasons why I love galleries like Arnika Dawkins and Marianne Ibrahim in Seattle, who I also work with, is because they are they are black. Um, Mona is black, and they're all in one way or another trying to cultivate a black collector base. So my chances of my work going into black hands are higher. I do have quite a bit of work, and you know, the Studio Museum just recently bought. Uh, Wild as the Wind, and you know it's, uh, and then I also have quite a few individual collectors that are that are black, um, and that's really important, because, yeah, for for all for reasons that we that we know. But I I do grapple with it. I also grapple with the idea of the work being in private collections, because one of the things is that, perhaps the, the failed academic in me. Um, feels is that, you know, I feel like some of this work, uh, I would prefer to be in institutions because um, I, I, there is a part of it that I find to be educational. And, you know, and so I, I would prefer for it to be consumed by more as opposed to less. But, um, but you know, hopefully I'll get there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, as we wrap up, uh, you you mentioned earlier you have a love affair with Atlanta, <clears throat> excuse me, and um, just wanted you to expound upon that a little bit more. Uh, you you mentioned of course your time at Spelman, but um, Atlanta is many things to many people. Um, for those who have spent any amount of time here, can probably attest to. So 
Um, what is your perception in this moment of what Atlanta is, whatever that may mean to you? In this moment, it's black people. It's black <laughs> excellence. You know, I mean, it. you know, I honestly, I can't tell you how many white people I've seen in the last two days. And, you know, <laughs> I mean, it's, you know, I guess it's going to the National Black Arts Festival and then coming here. So it's not like I've done that much, but you know it was it's it's just um i was reminded of of how beautiful this place is um having you know come you know i remember when i left spelman thinking to myself that you know i didn't think that it made sense to live here um coming out of college because it somehow it didn't it didn't feel right as a single young person i felt like but i, but I definitely knew that you know, this is a place to, to have a black family, you know, to kind of come and, you know, have community and raise children with really great examples around them. And I don't know if I was necessarily, it, you know, that it was true that it wasn't a place, a good place to be young and single, but I definitely knew that it was a place to come in. And, um, and so yesterday, just again, to be surrounded by so many amazing people just really reminded me of that. Um, because one of the reasons that I live in Johannesburg, I've, I've come to realize, is that I'm a, I am addicted to my people. I want to see my people. I want to be around my people, um, and 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 all of all walks of life, you know, and um, and so it's like it's nourishing to to come and, and and to really be in black space, especially when you when I look at the fact that like for instance I live in Brooklyn when I'm in the United States and I've lived in the same apartment in Crown Heights for almost 15 years and my neighborhood is essentially becoming a white neighborhood around me. It's shocking, you know? And, you know, while I'm super excited about all the services that, that, that have come with their presence, you know, I can get my wine delivered, which is amazing, you know? But it's it's also you know I I ask myself why am I so annoyed by their presence and I'm and I've come to realize it's because they're taking my black community away from me you know I don't live in I, I'm increasingly no longer living in a black community so Atlanta you know it, you know just kind of fed me in a, and nourished me in a way that I didn't even realize how hungry I was. Visual artist photographer Ayana V Jackson Ayana. It was a pleasure as always. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate you for, for your podcast.